What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Today's episode is with Phil George of Driscoll George LLP. Uh, we're going to discuss how during the coronavirus pandemic, Phil bought a law firm. Uh, this is also a very special episode for me because Phil was my first friend at law school. And I don't think that he realized when I asked him if I could sit next to him that first day at lunch, what I really meant was for the next three years. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know, and I'd be happy to make the introduction. What's up, Phil? Thanks for sitting down to talk to me tonight. What's up, Will Ferraro, injury attorney? Before we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, tell me about where you work and what you do? Uh, I'm Phil George. I have my own law firm in Rockland County. It's a real estate law firm. It's called Driscoll George. It is with my other law buddy, someone you might have heard of, Brian Driscoll. So Driscoll, Brian Driscoll, George, Philip George. Uh, we do real estate law in Rockland, Westchester, New York City, and Long Island. All right, cool. And so why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background on you? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Stuff like that. Okay, so I grew up in Rockland. Uh, originally, born in White Plains, lived in Westchester and Ossining, lived in India for four years. Then I came back to Ossining, lived there, and then moved to Rockland when I was in sixth grade. Graduated from Clarkstown South, and then went to Binghamton for undergrad, where I did like a pre-law program, philosophy, politics, and law. Then I worked for a year at a real estate firm in Rockland and went to St. John's with you. All right. That was pretty, pretty quick and succinct there. That's it. It's about being brief and concise. People want you to get to the point, not the whole fluff, Will. <laughs> so at, at what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to be an attorney? Uh, I think from a really young age, you know, like in somewhere in like middle school, high school, I wanted to be an attorney. I always liked lawyers that could present themselves well in court that could, you know, defend a client. And I thought that good legal advocacy was uh, an important skill. I'm also Indian. So my parents were always like, you got to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, something like that. Right. <laughs> so they don't want to go to school for long enough to be a doctor. Hey, the math. So they don't want to be an engineer. And okay. Yes, law is what it is. And so it was, just, it was just a process of elimination. Process of elimination, which I thought would be like, oh, this is the easier one. And then we realized how hard law school in the bar exam was. Right, right. And so did you also know that you wanted to be a business owner or did that come later? I think that came like a little later. You know, I remember being in law school with two of my law school professors and they both at different points were just like, Phil, you're not a lawyer. I was like, what? I was like, this is the third year of law school. What do you mean? I'm not a lawyer. They're like, you're a businessman. I'm like, okay. Like what type of business would you want? And I was like, I don't know, be a real estate developer, you know? And they're like, yeah, yeah that's more fitting. Like you're a businessman. Like that's what you should be doing. And I was like, okay. But they're always, you know, everyone's supportive of the skills that you get from law school, like that analytical ability, the ability to mm -hmm. communicate. And I think it comes in handy when you run your own business. That's a pretty shocking thing to hear two and a half years into law school. Like you're practically yeah. done at that point. You should do something else with your life. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you choose St. John's? Oh, pretty easy. Uh, most financial uh, you so, you know, tuition support. 
and scholarship money. And then also the firm that I worked at in Rockland, the partner there was a St. John's guy. So mm-hmm. he put me in touch with Helena Quinn at St. John's. Really just kicked it off with her and got in. And it was this perfect decision. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad I did too. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this today. Yeah, that's true. Um, so before you became a business owner, you're owning your own law firm, you worked for some larger, um, uh, larger firms for other people. Um, yeah. And what was that like? No, I mean, I thought it was a great experience, you know, because the partners that I were with were very hardworking, very diligent, were successful. You, they did what I did in which they broke up from a larger law firm. They created their own firm. So we were in that growing stages and you can see, you know, they were sharing space, but they were bringing in money. So all their offices were starting to like buy their own office. They were getting furniture. They were expanding the technology that they had. And I thought that that was just a phenomenal experience to get because you got a lot of good training. You had access to partners and you could also just see the business end of what a firm, you know, starting from nothing is doing. And now they have their own spaces. They have all this great stuff that wasn't there, you know, two, three years into mm. when I first started there. Do you think that's something that you could have done forever or did that always have an expiration date on it? No, I think it had an expiration date, which I had time to think about during the pandemic. Cause when the pandemic hit, you know, I mean, I quit my job in May or June of 2020. Mm. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to start this firm. And I mean, the firm was up and running by August of 2020. So it was just having that ability to sit at home and think about it and be like, can I do this forever? You know, billing, working for somebody else, all this type of stuff. Thinking about those conversations with my law school professors about how I'm much more of an entrepreneur and a businessman. And I was like, you know what? I'm living at home right now. This is the perfect time to do it. And so I just took that risk during the pandemic. So did this opportunity present itself while you had the other job or did you quit that job and then this opportunity arose? So this opportunity came like immediately after law school, you know, uh, the firm that I used to work with in Rockland, the partner was like, listen, I want to leave. I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to do other stuff in my life, choose other mm-hmm. options. And he only asked me, he's like, I think you'd be great. You love you know, networking, you love clients, you love real estate, this would be a perfect opportunity for you. And I was like, no way, dude, do I want to come back to Rockland <laughs> County, be a lawyer in Rockland, you know? Yeah. I was like, used to New York City, I was used to going to court in the city, and all these big goals, and I was like, no shot, right? And uh-huh. then he came back again, and he's like, are you happy? And you know, like, you're like, listen, I'm happy to an extent. Am I like thrilled? Am I like, you know, super pumped every day? No, not really. And he's like, listen, I'm still getting out, you know, I still think he's like, I had other deals that fell through. It didn't work out. He's like, we can work out an agreement. And I was like, damn, I was like, you're really pushing this, huh? And I was <laughs> like, this is also very much more interesting, you know? So we sat down in his backyard. Uh, we had masks on. We were sitting like far apart from each other on his porch. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to his house. I was like, your house is gorgeous, dude. Your cars are gorgeous. Like, I know how successful you've been with this business. Right. And I was like, let's talk numbers. Show me what you've made in the last two to three years, what your buyout will look like, all that type of stuff. And I was just intrigued. And I was like, all right. I mean, the numbers are there. It's going to be super hard to do this, but mm-hmm. single, you know, I'm, all right. I'm smart. I hope, you know, I'm diligent. And 
let's give it a shot. And thankfully, you know, I think we're doing pretty well for ourselves. Yeah, I would say so. So he kind of worked on you for a while until you finally, you know, agreed to make the change. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's always been like a family friend also. So it wasn't like some sales guy coming up and be like, oh, buy my car, you know, I'll buy my law firm. It was a, this is what you, you can make out of it. This is what my numbers are. He's like, I'll support you. And he did support me, you know, for six months, he stayed on. We worked mm-hmm. on the deals together. And honestly, he was like, he's like, you're above the curve on this. He's like, I think most people would take like a year to get used to it. He's like, you're ready to run and do your own stuff six months into it. He's like, go do it. You know, if you need help and support, I'm here. And that's what we did. So you're, you're probably at this point, less than two years out of law school. You're admitted to practice for what, a year at this point? Uh, yeah, like probably like a year, year and a half. And so how did you feel about, did you feel confident? Like, all right, let's do it. Or were you apprehensive? I was, I was totally nervous. You know, I was like, everyone thinks I'm crazy, you know? Yeah. Like we have good friends, you know, and some of them are like, you can do it. Like you definitely have what it takes to do it. You know, I appreciated that support. And I was also like super nervous. You know, I was like, this thing fails in tanks. I'm, I don't know what to do. But also my old firm, they were like, you can come back. They're like, give it a shot. You know, see what happens. If you need a job, we love you. You uh-huh. good when you worked here, like you'll get the job back, you know? And, right, and right. And so I was like, all right, hopefully that's true. So let's give this thing a run, you know? Yeah. I, and I've heard other people say that too, where they're like, the worst that could happen is you go back to what you're doing right now. So why not give it a shot? You know? Yeah, exactly. Like when there's no kids involved, no wife involved, you know, it's yeah. like, well, this, is, this is the best time to do it. Uh-huh. Was there any, were there any growing pains that you had when you were first getting started? Oh, I mean, I, I still think there are growing pains, you know, as like, cause you keep expanding. There's still stuff you want to do. There's more volume that comes in now. But when we first started, yeah, there was growing pain. So it was getting your name established. There's a mm-hmm. pandemic. So it's not like you're going face to face with people, you know. And you have to learn how to run a business. You're not just a lawyer. Like the law part was fine. You can get that. There's always answers to it. But then there's accounting. There's payroll. Like I started mm-hmm. paying someone's salary from day one, you know. Right. Uh, there's insurance costs. There's rent. There's printers. There's, ins- uh, you know, technology like paying for zoom and all that type of stuff mm. that you have to deal with okay so then what was it like when the person that you bought it from finally decided to say you know you're ready here you go you're out on your own now uh, it's nerve-wracking you know it was like all right you know he's like give it a shot and it's like you know you gotta challenge yourself and i think that's what i did and i think i took the challenge and i remember there were you know, so many long hours are spent at the firm, you know, mm-hmm. we'll go be at work by like 7.30, work till about seven, go home, eat dinner for an hour, hour and a half, then come back into the office around nine, work till midnight. And that was like wow. for a while, you know? And I think that is definitely allowed what, you know, allowed me to keep everything running and stay on top of this because it's all about your first impressions when you start off in the business. And I think thankfully, that was just super helpful. And from there, you know, they're still growing things. Now it's, do we want an expansion? Do we want another office? Where do we want another office? Do we hire more support? What type of support? An assistant, a paralegal, all this type of stuff, you know? So I think it just shows that it's good to take the challenge, you know, approach it head on and do a really good job at it. And then I think you'll always have growing pains, but that's part of being a business owner. And then so... Between the time that the previous owner left 
And eventually you decided to bring in another partner, Brian Driscoll, another classmate of ours. How long were you just doing it by yourself as the only attorney in the firm? Uh, about six, seven months. And then how did you come to the decision or how did you approach, you know, bringing in Brian as a partner? We just had so much business. I showed Brian the checks, you know, that we were making. And I said, listen, man, there's so much business here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian, you know, Brian, Brian had a great job and everything. And I was like, let's take a shot. You know, I was like, you seem like you want to do this. You've been interested in this since the beginning, which I told him I was going to do this. He was like, you know, keep me informed, keep me in the loop about it. He's like, if you do a good job, you know, maybe I'll consider joining you. And Brian gave you know, good advice during the whole creation of the partnership, the buyout agreement, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually he was like, all right, let's take this risk. And he quit. Yeah, you know, which is crazy when he quit. It's like that's like I just made someone quit their job. <laughs> I like, can't mess it up now. Hope really- this works. <laughs> I was like, it worked good enough for me. Now I gotta convince my buddy to quit his job, join, you know, and move to Rockland from the city. Right. And I was like, all right, we're feeding three people now. Let's do it. And so was there any hesitancy in hiring a friend of yours or, or bringing in a friend to be a partner? Yeah, there's a lot of hesitancy, you know, it's like, you have that additional pressure and being like, listen, if he, if this messes up, you're going to get blamed, you know, his parents are going to be pissed, our friends are going to be like, what happened, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you know, well, no, what happened, and then there's the pressure of just being like, you have to work with your friend, you know, like mm-hmm. your business owners, you're not just friends, it's not like we just go to the bar, you know, or like go to a concert, it's we're seeing each other at work for eight, nine, ten hours every day. And both of our incomes and livelihoods are dependent on this one business that we run. Right. What was it like? Challenges, like when you get mad at each other or like, you know, if you have different ideas on how money should be allocated, all that stuff comes into play, but communication is definitely what's helped us the most. Mm -hmm. And what was it like starting, you know, or taking over a business during COVID? What was that like? Especially a real estate practice where, you know, so much of it happens in person, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's in person, but it's also like the weekends when you come in and you're doing QuickBooks and learning how to do accounting and then you're reconciling escrow accounts, you know? And then it's uh, meeting, you know, clients, it's meeting real estate agents, meeting developers, and then you're dealing with a pandemic that's slowing down real estate transactions. Title searches aren't coming in as fast. And people are just waiving everything, waiving their inspections, waiving their appraisals, waiving their mortgage contingencies, all stuff that you haven't seen in decades in the market and making sure that people clearly understand the risk that they're taking when they waive it and if they can actually waive it, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're doing remote closings, you're doing remote contract signings, and then there's issues with that, with checks getting lost and FedEx packages coming late and all that type of issues coming up into play. And so I think the pandemic was really good for real estate in which it made some of it a lot more efficient and faster. Like sellers don't come to closings that much anymore, which is a big thing in other countries. I mean, other states in the country. And so I think that type of stuff has helped to make more efficient. But it, at the same time, it led to a lot of challenges. And I think people appreciate going to closings just because you know when you get the check, you know all the documents are signed. You're not just sitting there waiting for the phone to ring with an issue. Mm-hmm. So that you know when you leave the closing table, either I have my check or the deed has been signed to me and, you know, we're good to go, right? Is that essentially what you're saying? 
Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, it's nice not to be there. You can do work and mm-hmm. you're waiting for buyers to hit your account and you just tell your client, listen, I'll call you at the end of the day. And so when the deal is actually finished, you know, so there's, mm-hmm. a, there's that nice convenience aspect of it. Like all the commercial deals that we do, those are all remote. Those are all wires. Your client comes in, they sign the documents, you know, and then you send it to the lender and to the other side and that's it. Do you prefer to do the in-person closings or the in-person uh, transactions or do you prefer the remote? I like the hybrid. I like, you know, I like, if I'm a sales attorney, I like my client coming in ahead of time, going through mm-hmm. the closing numbers with me, signing as many documents as, they, as we have available for them, and then taking the power of attorney, finishing the closing, and being able to move on, you know, because a lot of times, sometimes there's, you know, there's a little bit of, unhappiness or resentment between the parties in a transaction there's walkthrough issues you know and people say snarky comments and they can sit in my conference room for two three hours yelling at each other and it's like this is a waste of time you know yeah. i was like what are we arguing about over here the washing machine like let's move on you know mm-hmm. people get hung up on little things like that on real estate transactions right yeah because you know they're buying their biggest investment and you expect some, sometimes you expect, you know, to be treated a certain way and you wouldn't treat someone the way that you're being treated. So it makes you very resentful. And as an attorney, as an agent, your job is sometimes just put in perspective and be like, listen, you're buying $800,000 house, a hundred dollars. Yes. It's unfortunate, but how long are you going to sit here? Are you actually going to kill the deal over it? You know, mm-hmm. so that's what you have to do sometimes just be a mediator in these types of situations. This episode of the Bronx attorney broadcast was brought to you by me, Will Ferrero. Uh, I'm an attorney in prior law right here in the Bronx, and we primarily practice in personal injury. However, we do also do a, a variety of areas of practice. So I can help you with just about any sort of legal issue that you might have. I'm admitted to practice both in New York and New Jersey. And if it's not something that I can personally help you with, I can connect you with someone in my network of attorneys who is best equipped to help you with your legal issue. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Bronx Attorney. You can send me an email, Ferrero at Prior Law, or call me at the office, 718-829-0222. And now back to the show. Like, how is it dealing with different people, different clients, personalities? Do you find yourself playing, you know, therapists sometimes? What's that like? I know about breakups. I know about ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-husbands, ex-wives, the kids, the Mercedes, who paid for the Mercedes. You know, I, I hear everything. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, it's 630. I want to leave, you know. And this all comes up in the context of real estate transactions? Everything happens in a real estate transaction, you know. If there were no clients or anything, the transaction would be so easy. But the people, you know, there's, it's like it's in the contract that, the artwork, you know, was included and then the artwork is not there. And it's like, what happened to the artwork? Oh, the movers must have taken it, you know, mm-hmm. they'll the artwork back, you know? And then it's like, well, if he doesn't do this, I gave him my TV for free. I'm going to come back and take my TV. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's so- all time. And within the past year, we've, we've seen, kind of like a, a real estate transaction boom, right? Where there was a period where there was so many transactions happening. How did you, how did you handle that? Long hours, man. Long hours, you know, it was a lot. I mean, it was one of the decisions why I was like, we need Brian here. Uh, it was also just 
the hours were crazy. You know, they were there for so long because you had so many deals. You had to go to all your closings, but then you had to send out contracts and you got to deal with issues when they appear on the transaction. Mm-hmm. And then you had to do all the behind the scenes stuff because your escrows are just, there's so much money coming in and out of the accounts, you know? So escrows had to be managed and there was, you know, payment off your different vendors and stuff like that. It also had to get done. There just wasn't enough time in the day. So you would be working six hours, you know, six days a week. Right. Or grueling hours, you know? And so, as you know, I do personal injury where, you know, one case could, you know, be a, be a, result in a large fee for the firm. But with real estate transactions, you know, it's a smaller fee. So how do you keep, you know, bringing in clients all the time? I just think it's how knowledgeable you are, your communication skills, your responsiveness is very big, you know? And I think the technology that we have as a law firm to do with the DocuSign, uh, the different Adobe features that we have, the, the amount of money that we spend on Microsoft, you know, uh, I think it allows us to make our process a lot more streamlined because a lot of these lawyers that were older are still doing the paper stuff, you know, and they weren't sending contracts via electronic emails. Um, and it would just take them a lot longer to draft contracts when we have custom programs that draft contracts for us, that put in the terms that we put in the templates and the bookmarks of the document, we put it into our software and the software will populate everything. So instead of your paralegal going back and finding an old form from an old file, you have everything saved. You go into it, you plug in the information, and it's automatically created for you, which allowed us just to be a lot faster and more efficient. Okay. So you're able to do more because your tech enables you to, you know, work faster. Yeah. Our tech definitely helps us. It makes us way more fast, much more efficient, and allows us to handle the volume that we have. Okay. And do you do any marketing, advertising, word of mouth? Where do you find your clients? Zero advertising. If you Google us, you just maybe you'll find the website, which is a nice website, you know, but there's no Google business. There's no Facebook, you know, there's the Instagram that no, I don't even know how to get onto Instagram. You know, I need to figure that (laughs) out. But uh, no, there's zero marketing, which is the crazy thing about how well we've done is that it's just been word of mouth. It's just been word of mouth and referrals. And is that referrals from, you know, previous clients, realtors you work with, inspectors, all of the above? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. What would you say your your greatest success thus far has been? That we haven't failed, you know? I mean, that most businesses go bust in a year. We've made it past that one year as like Driscoll George. And uh, I mean, the future is much brighter for us with the potential opportunities that we have and the amount of deals that are coming in and our reputation with top real estate agents and top builders and lenders. And I think that is definitely our greatest success so far. Would you say that you like being a lawyer more or that you like being a business owner more? Wow. I do not know the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> I early don't have this, you know, so I don't know if I like it running a business more or being a lawyer more. There are, Definitely aspects of being a lawyer that I love, which is helping clients through a process and accomplishing results for them, going through complicated stuff like air rights, zoning, um, violations that pop up, title issues. And I think I like the mental challenges of being a lawyer. But at the same time, I like being a businessman in which I can see where our money is being allocated 
who is giving us the most amount of business, where we should be allocating our marketing and uh, resources towards, what our potential target areas are for development and growth. I think there's really just a lot of pros in both of them. Mm -hmm. So like right now, you know, I always said that having my own law firm is what would make me the happiest as a lawyer, just because I enjoy what I do in real estate transactions. Most of the time, people are very happy at the end of their real estate transaction. But I also enjoy business because I love seeing what my hard work and fruition leads to. And I love the challenges of running a business. Uh, although there are definitely stuff that I don't like dealing with when it comes to business, but I think you need those uncomfortable moments and like those tough situations that you have to handle because they just make you grow so much as a person. And once you're over it, you're like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Yes. It sucked for a while. So it just definitely helped you develop as a person. What are the most difficult aspects of owning a law firm? We're a bunch of 20 year olds that tell 50 year olds what to do now. And it's, uh, I think that's definitely something to do with that. Cause they're like, why should I listen to you? Why should I listen to, you know, someone so young, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, well, you know, our numbers speak for themselves. The number of transactions that we've done in a year and a half are, I don't know right now what the current count was, you know, but it was probably in the 200 something ranges. Um, and the amount of volume, you know, just like if we calculated the purchase price of every deal is millions of dollars of deals. Right. You know? Easily. Easily, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just think like that type of stuff is just very cool and fascinating to see. Mm -hmm. And so now that you've been a country lawyer for the past three years, do you, do you miss the old, uh, being the old city, city attorney or what? Of course, of course. You know, there's something about being in Manhattan and doing big real estate deals in Manhattan that are complicated. That uh, is definitely fun. And when we get them, I take them because I miss that challenge sometimes, you know, but listen, us country guys have a lot of issues to deal with <laughs> fences and sheds and like this nonsense, you know, uh, riparian rights, the coast are having access to our clients properties to go and maintain it. Cause it's on the Hudson river, stuff like uh -huh. that, that your fifth Avenue deal doesn't deal with, but your fifth Avenue deal has a whole bunch of other stuff with the condo plants and all that type of stuff that you have to resolve. Right. Do you feel like you're ever going to branch out into other practice areas? Or are you going to stay with real estate transactions? Oh, see, now you're putting me in a weird spot now because there is a certain personal injury lawyer that I have a lot of respect for <laughs> and I hold in a high regard. You know, he's not necessarily a city lawyer. You know, he thinks he's a city lawyer, but he's on like a little island uh, doing his own thing. It doesn't happen to be in the sound, does it? Well, I think so. I think it is, you know? So yeah, obviously other practice areas are really good. Trust and estates, wills, that all go very hand in hand with real estate. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that... I want to necessarily learn, right? Like I don't want to learn the complicated trust stuff. I'm good with real estate. I want to do more stuff in real estate and figure out expansion in real estate. But I know that there's a bunch of good practice areas that go hand in hand with real estate that should definitely be considered trust mm -hmm. estates, tax, you know, real estate litigation, obviously. Yeah. Co-ops, it's its own separate thing. So I think stuff like that, is definitely intriguing. And like, I think that's where the business side comes out of, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's fun. And so if you were to add 
you know, a, a trust and estates practice area, then you would maybe look to hire somebody else to try to keep some of that business still at Driscoll George. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but hiring is its own complicated thing, you know, because after a while, then you're like, you have contract, you have partnership agreements, you know, like mm. high end stuff. And once we would have to hire like other friends of ours to like make up those agreements, you know, and right. they're very expensive. Some of our friends yeah. and they cost hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars an hour. I was going to say, what, what would you say your, your goals for the business are? Well, I think what our goals for the business are is to bring in hopefully like an extra 50 to 75,000 in profit, uh, in the next year mm-hmm. on top of what we made last year, um, to potentially get a second office, a satellite office. Okay. And most importantly, just to keep maintain our reputation and to keep bringing in new builders, lenders, and real estate agents who use us. So you, you mentioned your reputation a couple of times. Is the, the real estate community fairly small that you need to make sure that you, you know, maintain your reputation? Uh, reputation is, I think, very important in real estate just because there are so many different real estate agents, real estate attorneys, lenders, title, right? Not so many, but there's a good amount, but it's all so interconnected in which you deal with the same, you know, in Rockland, it's probably the same five to seven to 10 attorneys that you deal with, the same four to five title companies and Mm -hmm. big real estate agents, you know, there's, you know who the big real estate agents are and who does it part-time. There's a very clear difference in, their knowledge of the process, their contacts, and what they bring to the table. And so you want to make sure that it's easier for us to do business with agents that are in it full time or dedicated to it and treat it as a profession, you know, instead of sometimes real estate agents that just treat it as a part time gig in which they sell three to four homes in a year and walk away with an extra 35, 40 grand in their pocket, you know. And it's just their experience that makes them easier to deal with or, or a better experience overall, smoother? Yeah, it's definitely. When you have a more experienced agent or someone who really cares about it, that's accessible, mm-hmm. work uh, at night and on the weekends over it, and actually knows what they're doing, it's a lot easier because otherwise you do 300 transactions, but then you have this person who does three transactions calling you, challenging you, and mm-hmm. you have to explain to them, listen, if you do something the way you want it to be done. These are all the risks that you're putting your friend to risk with. And they don't understand that because they don't do enough of these deals or spend enough time in the business to actually understand. They just think it's, you're putting your house on market, you get the offer, send out the contract and it's done, but you don't understand all the title issues that come up with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and why the title issues are important and what average possession is, you know, and they need to be explained that because otherwise you're just jeopardizing somebody's biggest investment. Got it. Got it. So, you know, you mentioned the tech that you use and your ability to work faster and more efficiently. Other than that, you know, what, why should a potential, uh, a potential client hire Driscoll George? I just think we're, we come up with creative solutions for our clients. You know, a lot of attorneys are like, no, too risky. Don't do it. You know? But then I think we do a better job of explaining the risk. 
explaining different ways of handling risk and telling them what each different option that they choose, you know, what the pros and cons of it are. Uh, I think the technology makes it a lot more accessible. Uh, our response times are faster. Mm-hmm. And I think we're able to get work done in a way in which people don't want to come and see their attorney at two o'clock in the afternoon anymore. You know, they want yeah. to be able yeah. to read their contract, go on a Zoom call, go over it, understand it, mm-hmm. and sign. you know? They want to be able to wire their down payments. They don't want to come and give you a check. You know, we have clients who don't even have checks and we have to remind them that they need a checkbook sometimes for their closing, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we're never using the checkbook again for the next 10, 15 years. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Get some sheets, you know? You don't need checks now, you know? At least have three to four. So stuff like that. So you mentioned risks. What are, what are the riskiest, you know, aspects of a real estate transaction? I really just think... It depends on the deal, right? So when people are coming in and just saying, oh, we're going to waive our appraisal, it's like, well, what happens in you have a loopy appraiser come in and say that the property's worth $70,000 less than it's actually worth. You have 70 grand, for example, to make available. Now, that's not necessarily the cleanest example. There's a lot of more intricacies that go into that, depending on what the loan is and how it's structured. But Simply say it comes in $70,000 less, do you have $70,000? And they're like, no. Now it's like, okay, well, then you can't say your appraisal's waived, but right. we can do a limit, right? If the property comes in $20,000, $25,000 less, you'll be willing to put in $20,000, $25,000, you know, and make up a difference that way. You can't just be like, appraisal's waived. Mm-hmm. Now, with the way the market has shifted, we have very qualified buyers that can do all cash deals, but a lot of them get financing on the side anyway, if they can still get a good rate. But you see that these people can actually do a mortgage waiver, you know, mm. while in the heat of the pandemic, a lot of these people couldn't waive their mortgage or waive their appraisal, even though that's what the offer sheet was saying. And that's just because, you know, there wasn't that diligence that was being put into it. Everyone's like, oh my God, they're waiving it, but mm-hmm. they actually waive it. Right. And where do you think the real estate market is going now? We're seeing, you know, interest rates kind of go up. Uh, do you think that there's still, you know, is there still the inventory to be, you know, buying and, and selling at this point? Um, you know, after we saw this crazy surge, what's, what's next? Yeah, I mean, I think we were at a point in which there was nothing on the market. Now we're seeing stuff on the market. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the newest challenge is getting buyers to go out and actually like put in offers because people are just expecting the economy to crash. I don't think it's going to crash. I think it's going to even out, but I don't think you're going to see like, you know, a recession or anything, but you'll see it. You'll probably see a recession, but it's not going to be anything like what you were expecting, like in 2008, you know, but people are expecting the market to get worse. So they're waiting and they're not putting in offers as fast as they were. But at the same time, people for a few months were not getting approved for their mortgages because the rates went up so much that they no longer qualified for the mortgage. You know, mm-hmm. now we don't have that issue. Now we're just waiting for buyers to actually like make moves on some of the properties that are listed. Gotcha. So say there's somebody listening to this right now that has a job that, you know, pays them well, they work for somebody else, but they got that that itch feeling in the back of their head where they're like, I really want to go out and I want to do it on my own. And, you know, I want to open up my own firm. What would you tell somebody like that? What advice would you have for them? I would, if they want to do it, you know, I think it should be in a field that they know, you know, 
and or that they know someone is in because for me it was super helpful to just go to other law firm owners and just be like how is it what are the biggest challenges that you have how do you make your firm successful i feel like a lot of people are willing to share that knowledge and information to you and i also think you really have to do your due diligence you know you have to make sure you know what the balance book's going to look like, you know, what the balance sheet's going to look like, but you don't need to understand expenses and income and revenue and make sure that you actually did the savings for the six, eight, you know, months to a year to make sure that you have money backed up because it takes time to make a profit off of these things. You know, there are definitely months in which you're just paying expenses and your employees and barely taking home anything to yourself. And then there are other months in which you're bringing home a decent amount of money, you know, mm. and you just have to understand that, there's no more a set paycheck, you know, you're not getting 4,000, 8,000, 10,000 biweekly. You don't know what your numbers are going to be. Because mm-hmm. if this is owner, you have to not only do the work, do the accounting, right? Do insurance, but then you also have to do marketing and everything else that's associated with the business. Okay. I think that's good advice. And so if somebody who's listening or watching, they want to hire the best real estate firm in Rockland County, where do they go? Oh, come on. You know that and the best real estate firm on, in like Hudson Valley in New York City, Driscoll George all day. You got a phone number or an email? Five, six, three, four, six, two, nine, one. Phil <laughs> uh, Driscoll, like the strawberries, you know, D-R-I-S-C-O-L-L, George, E-O-R-G-E dot com. There you go. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Will. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know and I'd be happy to make the introduction.